0: welcome to episode 34 of ot conversations that matter the podcast my name is justine jecker and i will be hosting today's conversation on artificial intelligence with occupational therapists shelly weisberg and sarah bruskovitz Artificial intelligence, AI, is concerned with designing and building systems that think and act like humans by thinking and acting rationally. AI is able to do tasks that usually demand human intelligence, including visual perception, decision-making, language and speech recognition, and translation. AI can be used throughout the therapy process from assessment and monitoring, for example, using wearable devices or sensors, administrative tasks such as documentation, scheduling appointments, and creating checklists, education, including virtual reality or simulation, and interventions such as AI-driven cars, applications, and telerehabilitation. Shelley Weisberg has been an occupational therapist for over a decade and has experience in treating individuals with traumatic brain injuries, having extensive training in concussion management and cognitive rehabilitation. Having endured persistent concussion symptoms herself, Shelley has insight into the complex and unique challenges that concussion s- symptoms bring to daily life. Her journey has led her to the forefront of enhancing occupational therapy with technology. She co-founded BrainBot, a digital rehab companion that leverages data and artificial intelligence to empower clients to understand and manage their concussion symptoms more effectively. Shelley's blend of clinical expertise, personal insight, and passion for innovative technology makes her a distinctive voice in the intersection of AI and occupational therapy. Sarah Breskowitz is an occupational therapist currently working as a clinical advisor for Sensi AI in the United States. She assists home care agencies in their use of Sensi AI's audio-based AI system to optimize care services for older adults and individuals with disabilities. Her clinical experience is largely in inpatient neuro rehab, specializing in stroke and traumatic brain injury populations. She has a passion for integrating new technologies within clinical practice and is a strong advocate for anyone seeking to expand their practice into non-traditional spaces. She also previously did an awesome AI podcast with the OT Potential, which can be found on YouTube. Welcome to the podcast Sarah and Shelley it's awesome to have you both here it's such a great way to start 2024 and we really can't go anywhere online or elsewhere without talking about AI how are you both doing
1: hi thank you so much for having us Yes. Thank you,
2: Justine, for having us. I think just this morning uh, I turned on Spotify and I had an AI assisted DJ. So it literally (laughs) is everywhere.
0: (laughs) It really, really is everywhere. And I feel it it might be the catch term. I know it's been around for a few years, but I, I feel like 2024 is maybe the year it becomes truly mainstream. Um, And with that said, I want to give you both a little bit of an opportunity to expand more on your own story and what got you into AI in the first place. So maybe Sarah, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, sure. So like you mentioned in that wonderful introduction, um, I Before AI, I was working as an OT in neuro rehab in the hospital settings. I uh, was in Chicago at the time and moved to Austin where there's just a very vibrant technology culture and it started getting my brain turning as to what applications of AI are out there in healthcare and how could I maybe transition my practice into that space. Um, So you know, I, I kind of looked into different avenues there. I found Sensei AI through LinkedIn, as we do when we're searching for other companies and what else is out there for us. And what really uh, drew me to Sensi specifically uh, was just how they were using AI in the home care industry. I found OT as a profession through working as a caregiver in home care, so I kind of understood some of the challenges in that industry and thought it would be a beautiful bridge to bring now my knowledge with occupational therapy into that space with the use of technology that he was doing. So um, it's been quite the interesting ride learning about artificial intelligence and understanding how we can really apply that into um, the health and wellness um, industry, using my lens as an OT to do that.
0: And Shelly, how about for you? How long's the journey been for BrainBot and what brought you to that point? <laughs>
1: yeah it's been uh, quite a journey um and so as you mentioned i've been working um for about 10 years in um, traumatic brain injury mostly in the auto insurance uh, auto insurance industry and in that industry um in in ontario clients tend to have quite a bit of benefits to pay for the multidisciplinary team that they need and so my wheels started turning to ask questions about what happens to all of those people who get their brain injuries outside of MVAs or outside of uh, workers' comp where they don't have access to these benefits. And also in my clinical practice, I was really finding that there was a lack of objective data from clients in terms of what activities they were doing, how are they, were, they were feeling uh, outside of appointments with me. Um, and I was also finding it would take a, at least half of my appointment, if not more, going through, Uh, activity journals, or just trying to get up to speed of what's been happening since I last saw them so that I could make an informed decision about moving forward. So I was working through these problems and started thinking about how I can use technology to solve them, and then I got my own concussion. And I had an eight month long recovery. And despite my training, I really started to struggle through my recovery. I understood what it meant to have, um, to not have access to benefits, to pay for these services and having to make really difficult decisions about what services I could have based on what I could afford. So um, I would have to make decisions like, you know, could I um, make breakfast, take my daughter to school, walk my dog, and then a few hours later work, or would I be in bed for the rest of the day? Um, and if I thought I made the right choices and I still had a raging headache, I was so desperate to understand why and how I could prevent that. So that's really where I learned that we needed a better solution to help people in these times when they're outside of care, um, which is really most of the time, to give them the tools they need to um to make decisions about their care, to optimize their recovery, to give them those, that support so that number one, we can make their lives better, but that we can optimize the care for providers and give them the data they need to make their jobs easier.
0: I love that you incorporated your lived experience because that is that is such the OT thing to do is, you know, prototype on herself and then apply. <laughs> um, and you mentioned this idea of technology and in quite often, I think in the world, when we look at areas of practice in Canada and so you can speak a little bit more with your American background, you know, assistive technology is a very well understood area and how would you um explain or incorporate where ai fits in when we when we talk about tech is it an extension of assistive technology or is it is it its own thing
1: i think it's absolutely an extension of technology i think the technology can can provide these core functions that you're looking for but where ai comes in is really in the analysis and the guidance that it can provide either patients or clinicians. And so the technologies, depending on what it is, can collect data, it can do very specific functions, but you can't necessarily extract, um, extrapolate data from there to make actionable, um, actionable, uh, to have actionable insights to provide guidance. And so I think it's just, it takes it one step further to make the data as useful as possible.
2: Yeah, I would agree with Shelly on that. I see an extension of assistive technology, but really something that operates more in the background because it's there to inform you as the clinician, the provider or the user of that form of tech, how to then enhance your actions, improve your performance based on the the feedback you're getting from that. So it is a system technology, but again more of a background and not like in the forefront of how you how you do what you need to do.
0: I love that. And I think that that's where, um, you know, putting together this podcast, recognizing that OTs uh, across North America have a different level of comfort when it comes to AI. For some, it's it's just, you know, this is so far from what they're doing, or at least that's what is thought. And others, there's there's much more of, okay, I, I think I could incorporate this into my practice. And so looking at the two of you and your experiences as what I would consider pioneers in AI, because it's not easy finding OTs who identify as, yes, I am an AI OT. Um, what, what do you think we can be doing in the profession to try and create that comfort and openness for the average occupational therapy to consider AI? What, what would be the selling point?
2: That's a good question. I'll I'll speak first, but I feel like Shelly, being kind of at the forefront of that intersective practice in AI as it relates to the individual might have a lot more to say than than what I'm about to contribute. Um, I think, first of all, it just comes with um, educating yourself or informing yourself on the various AI platforms and what that all means, demystifying it for you so that when you go to integrate that into whether a workflow efficiency standpoint, like documentation or with your end client, when it comes to treatment, you feel good about being able to convey the benefits of that to them. So demystifying it for yourself, um, I think is is the first step. And the second thing I would add on that is always keeping the client in mind being client centered because that is the heart of ot so if you can find that why i'm using this you know to help um client a you know be better at managing um you know their exercise performance or to help me better identify or craft the need for more services for client a if you're using it in documentation i think that's going to make um the implementation of using AI more valuable and meaningful to you because you know the why with the output on the other end.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think there's there's two ways that you can look at it. Um, Before I get into those two ways, um, I think there's a big blind spot for how AI can be used in our practice. And I think that's where a lot of the hesitation comes because we just don't know what the applications look like. And so the two ways that I see AI being incorporated is number one for the the practice process for the clinician and how they can optimize their process. And then number two for the clinician, uh, or sorry, for the client. And so if we start on the clinician side of things, and this is where I would uh, encourage all clinicians to explore is simply start with ChatGBT. I know this is the, the AI platform that most people are talking about that's really easiest to understand. And the same way that you would use Google, uh, type into ChatGPT, how can I use you to optimize my occupational therapy practice? And what's so beautiful about it is it, helps you brainstorm okay these are some different ways that you can apply it and then you can start to pick apart some pieces and apply them into your everyday life or into either your personal life or your your professional life and so even starting with something as simple as brainstorming a clinical problem entering you know I have this client with this diagnosis this age these are the goals that we're working on what are some treatment ideas that I can have that I can implement with them, or even um, helping you write a soap note or helping you create an analysis. And so these are some really easy, tangible ways that you can start today to just get a sense of how it can work and what the benefits are. Once you get a little bit more comfortable with that side of things, then you can start to look at it for the client. You know, what technologies are they using in their everyday life? Are there extensive of that using AI that we can apply. And then once you get more comfortable, you can start to do the research and understand these different companies that are around that can optimize the care that you're providing for the clients to achieve their goals.
0: I love that. And I love that it it does involve, uh, that was a great suggestion, chat GBT as the starting point to, okay, so, you know, it's free trial, you can log in and you can play around and, it, it's quite addictive when you're first introduced to it. You will ask every question under the sun um, to see what it comes up with. And I think that's that's a really good starting point for people who are very new to the concept of what AI is. Um, one of the things I wanna pick up on in looking at both of your backgrounds, so looking at concussion and traumatic brain injury, there might be a tendency for OTs to see AI as, oh, it's, it's for this area of practice, it's for this, physical ailment or symptom that someone has experienced, I'm wondering if you can touch upon the concept of AI from the holistic perspective. So, you know, whether it's a mental health issue, a cognitive issue, maybe even a spiritual issue, how could AI come into play when it isn't necessarily um, a physical injury? So, Sarah, I'll I'll start you on that one. Well,
2: that's really interesting that you asked that because that's kind of the basis for the company I'm currently working with and how we're using audio platforms with artificial intelligence to kind of broaden our scope of, um, you know, identifying what are people struggling with, not just physically, but tapping into some of that cognitive, emotional and, um, you know, wider breadth of health and wellness that we know of. So um, dialing back down from that. I think, you know, if if you're looking into, as a practitioner currently, what could I, how can I start tapping into those other sectors of health with what we have today that's readily accessible? Um, I, you know, think about some of the indicators that you might be getting with wearables. You know, if you're monitoring sleep or monitoring um, other vitals that you that a client might be gathering, and how do some of those trends maybe relate back to that uh, emotional well-being or you know, cognitive sleep, are you getting enough sleep at night? How is that affecting your performance and ability to do your day-to-day the next day? So I think that you can get windows into that even using more traditional technologies that we have right now currently to help you explore that more. And that's where OTs I think are the best positioned because we, by nature look at the whole picture and know that even a small indicator in one section does impact all these other facets of our life too.
1: I love that uh, that you mentioned all of those pieces Sarah because that's at BrainBot that's essentially what we're, we're doing we're collecting all of those pieces in terms of the activities that we're doing um, the the locations, the environments that you're doing those activities in, and all of the physical, cognitive, emotional factors. And using AI, we can actually start to uncover relationships um, with the interplay of all of those different factors and then provide recommendations to optimize that activity or to modify it so that your symptoms aren't exacerbated. So just as a, an example of that, Um, You know, we can notice that you went to the grocery store after a work day or maybe around five o'clock. You were there for 45 minutes and your headaches got worse. Your uh, dizziness got worse. Your stress went up. And we can understand even through an Apple Watch, it was a noisy environment. Your vitals, your, your heart rate is higher. And so we can then see that going to the grocery store at that hour for that amount of time doesn't work for you, it makes your symptoms worse. So why don't you try next time going during off-peak hours, maybe during your lunch hour, use some musician headphones um, to filter out the noise, bring your sunglasses and do not stay for longer than 30 minutes. That's going to help you feel better. And so it's some really simple applications that look at that big picture to just modify the way you're doing it to optimize performance.
2: Can I add something to what Shelly just said? Cause it got me really excited is I hear a percolating fear sometimes amongst clinicians, like is AI going to replace me? And everything that Shelly just said needs a skilled occupational therapist to really connect all those dots together. So you're taking the information that you're receiving from both your client report, but also the, the AI system or the technology system um, to really help you build that full picture of you know, the person, the occupation, and the performance, and then provide more targeted and guided recommendations.
1: Sarah, I can't remember if it was you who coined this term, and I loved it so much, but really telling that untold story um, where, you know, we are collecting that data on the back end of um, everything that's happening in that time outside of outside of an appointment and we're feeding that back to the the provider and so we're able to tell that story to the provider to give them that context to provide all of the right um that that precise and personalized guidance so that the the treatment is really tailored.
2: And and likewise with, with me, you know, I'm really supporting these home care agencies and getting a more holistic picture of the needs of the individual during the care time, but also outside those care hours, too, so that the next time that they have that visit, they're able to, you know, tweak their care plan, optimize their care, and make sure that they're servicing that person the best way possible.
0: I think that's something that's also really interesting to be said about AI, and and I'll talk about apps in particular. During 2020, was my first experience using the Calm app, and for those of you who don't know, there's meditation, there's music, there's different offerings on the Calm app and one of the things you can do is each day using a basic emoji just kind of how are you doing that day it takes it takes three seconds you pick your emoji um, and and you kind of have this month overview of emojis and this was very powerful for me because as a person who typically likes to see the glass half full if I go into an office of any sort and, and the clinician in front of me asks me, you know, how how are you doing, Justine? I'm likely going to say I'm doing very well. <laughs> but when I look back on my month of emojis, um it, it was a very objective and simple story about, OK, you know what? I actually had 10 days there that were really not that great. The last three days have been good days and that's great. But. Um, our memory, as we know, and this is this is well known in scientific literature, is not really something we should be relying on when making especially very big healthcare care decisions. Um, and often that's all the therapist has to work with is is what the client is willing to share during the meetings. Having access to the AI technology really creates that objective piece that using wearables or filling out daily apps. Um, really gives information that the client themselves will look back on and say wow like that's uh, that's very powerful i had no idea that's how it, i was really doing so shelly i'm curious for you with your your personal and professional experience with concussions what was that experience like you know using the app
1: so um i just to make one point um on what you said it's not only providing the data to the the clinician but for from an accessibility uh sorry Yes, accessibility standpoint, um, it also empowers the client to make changes before they're able to see their clinician because they're getting that real time feedback where they know something's not going well and they're able to get some recommendations in real time without having to get on the phone with, with their provider, without having to wait for that week or month before they see their doctor next, which I think is really, really cool.
0: I completely agree. Thank you for adding that. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and can you repeat your question? Because sure,
0: of course. Yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> playback. No, but for, and and Sarah, you can speak to this as well, but for using apps yourself as a therapist, because what's one of the cool things about AI is that you get to test out the AI before you, um, you know, and, you know, suggest it for your clients to use what is the experience actually going through it yourself and seeing your own data come back and saying, oh, wow, I, that, that's different than what I thought. I thought I was doing better or I thought I was doing worse. What was your experience either as a therapist or or personally with concussion?
1: So that's actually, that's a really interesting question because I find myself, unless I'm really motivated to do something where there's some kind of extrinsic, in, extrinsic motivation, I won't. I won't engage, which I think is a really important. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a really important piece to consider when you're thinking about user engagement and how to design features, because you want to make sure that the way that you're designing features is going to engage our our clients, that they're going to want to use it, so you can actually collect the data you need to get all of these fantastic AI recommendations. So. As I'm speaking to this today, I actually just bought an Apple Watch to do this research um, to understand how it works. Oh, and it's now talking to me. Uh, and so I'm tracking my sleep. I, you know, I had a headache yesterday and it just occurred to me, why don't I log it to see if there's any patterns? And so I'm I am really enjoying seeing that feedback to really understand how I'm feeling, but it takes a lot to motivate me to actually input things. So I've um cued myself to, to input uh, a mindfulness minute every you know twice a day i haven't done it so i need to then ask myself those questions why am i not doing it and how can i apply those answers to the way that i'm designing my app so really looking at the motivation piece i think is important that being said when i was going through my recovery i was so desperate and so motivated to recover that i wanted every single metric i could get my hands on to provide some explanation to how I was feeling, and to also monitor, especially my heart rate when I was exercising, how to optimize that specific workout so that I wouldn't um, uh, I wouldn't overdo it and stay in bed for two days after. And so I found those metrics to be so incredibly useful for just informing how I was going to go about that day and that week.
2: Yeah, the uh, the only thing I'll add to that is just you're talking about motivation and I think, you know, that's where the more wearable technologies that a lot of our clients might be utilizing already, I think are a great entry point for them. We were talking about chat GPT as the entry point for the clinician. I think for a lot of our clients, you know, an Apple watch could be a great entry point because many people already have those, but um, there's ways to, you know, extend the goal setting that you might be setting for the person to also be within whatever what other technology that they're interfacing with too so that it does um you know promote either reaching the goals that you've set or tracking and interfacing with whatever technology they're using to get that data stream um, reliably coming through
0: absolutely sarah yeah and it makes me think too that we when, when, you know, taking something as simple as having an Apple watch or any type of uh, product for that matter, we're not just promoting Apple here, but um, is the idea that it, you know, especially when you start, you're kind of looking backwards, right? You're like, oh, this is this has been my progress to date or this is how I've been doing. But what's really f- great about AI technology is it supports the idea of preventative health, right? So you then can say, okay, well, I've made it to the zone. I've gotten to where I, I need to be, but I want to stay here or I want to get better, I'm curious, Sarah, your experience. Have you have you started to see that with the clients you're working with, the idea of using AI as a preventative tool or staying on track with health?
2: Most definitely. And you know, when we talk about looking at trends over time, I think that's where that preventative mechanism really comes into play, because you can see where was I before intervention? I had the intervention, how did that impact things for better, hopefully? And then over time, am I keeping at that bar that I want to be or am I starting to, to see dips and increases again that might you know, cause me to go back and think, you know, are the current interventions still working for me? Did something new happen that might've caused that change? And how can we now rework or re-strategize what we can do moving forward to get me back into that optimal zone? And when you are asking us like, own personal experiences i feel like that's kind of me right now i'm kind of entering my second year of motherhood and there are lots of peaks and dips happening and i'm trying to stay in the optimal zone but like looking at you know things like sleep is obviously a really big one for me right now and it's just really interesting to get that feedback and see the weeks that i did really well and then the weeks where maybe i wasn't as great as i wanted to be and you know reflect on what might have happened in those weeks that caused some of those changes, is that a one-off occurrence or am I starting to dip into a pattern that I want to course correct? And now I have the tools to help me manage that a little bit more.
1: And I think where AI comes into play there, um, because one of the things I struggle with, especially just seeing um, the data from, I won't say Apple Watch, from the devices that I use, (laughs) um, what I struggle with, I find not all of the technology uses yet is, well, what do I actually do with this information? Um, You know, I see that I'm not doing well, or I see that I had this one week that wasn't great. And I could probably put two and two together and figure out why that was. But what's so beautiful about AI is it can actually tell you why that week was bad, and can put together the patterns for you, So especially when you have a brain injury and you don't necessarily have the, um, the skill set or the bandwidth to make those connections on your own, you have the AI making those connections for you to say, you know what, you did have that bad week and here are five possible reasons why and here are five things that you can do about it to change it in the future.
0: Now, one of the systems issues, so AI really lives right now in the worlds of private practice and home care. It is definitely in all areas of practice, but I think those are the driving forces and usually I hear concerns around the security piece, right? So when you're with blockchain or different wearable devices, you know, where is this information going? How can we ensure um, that it's safe? And if you are let's say, a a hospital-based OT, what are, you know, the potential policies that might prevent Um, using AI because of maybe it hasn't been built into the policy that you can access that form of technology or platform because maybe it hasn't been vetted. I'm just curious, and I know you're the pioneers, but what are your thoughts around, you know, how how can we support OTs to advocate or recognize opportunities um, when security might be considered an issue?
2: It comes back to when we're talking about informing yourself of the technology and how you're going to be using it and really, you know, having to dig into that pipeline process of after it's collecting the information, um, what are the safeguards in place to protect that Um, a lot of these applications and technologies are using cloud storage, um, which in its own comes with a certain level of security, but we're talking about protected health information, which has a very high standard when we think about protecting that inf- information and the privacy of of the individual. So, um, you know, if whether you're working in a workplace that's employing AI across the board, it's asking those types of questions to really make sure you understand um, how this data is being protected and who gets access to that. And also if you're going to be using it in your own personal practice, making sure you're informing, you know, the end client of Um, how to keep the information safe and you don't want to just install any app on your phone um, to start tracking things. You do want to be making sure that um, that information isn't just visible to anyone who might be walking by. So it's something that really needs to be on top of mind. Uh, And the last thing I'll add is AI is entering hospital systems already. (laughs) There are companies out there who are putting um, various forms of remote patient monitoring with AI capabilities into hospitals as we speak. So um, it's it's coming, it's there. And again, just goes back to making sure that your teams are asking the right questions of the companies that are providing those products to ensure that, you know, it, that the same standards that you're holding as a health institution are being carried over into the company that's providing that, that tech and storing the data.
1: So, from our perspective, I think this is a fantastic question. And we've spoken to a number of health systems about this. Typically, these organizations tend to have privacy checklists that they go through with any industry or any company who's looking to implement their technology into the hospital system. And so the companies have to do their due diligence to ensure that they're able to meet all of those requirements. If you're a private practitioner, then like Sarah said, you need to know what privacy questions to ask these companies. Typically, the digital health companies are well versed in this and they can tell you whether they're HIPAA compliant or PHIPAA or PIPEDA compliant in Canada. And then depending on where you're located, you can then make the decision whether it works for you from a privacy standpoint.
0: And I just want to build on that for a second because um, I explained to Sarah before we started this podcast things are quite different in Canada in the sense that you know uh, healthcare is very regionally based so it's in our provinces and territories and um, telepractice does exist in in the profession of OT but there's different uh, agreements depending on where you live in the country and what's beautiful about AI it's one of those things that allows for that opportunity to be universal and I'm just curious if um, Sarah will start with you if you have work experience with um, clients where they've been able to travel and still provide services by monitoring, perhaps outside of the region that you're providing services.
2: Yes, to a degree. I mean, there are some caveats, especially since I'm centered in home care right now, that there's there's only so far a reach that any one agency has. So if a client might be out of network for their care, doesn't mean that they still can't use this AI system to help support informing the end client and their family of issues that are going on. But it does mean that the agency who is providing that technology might be a little limited with how much they can intervene because again, it could be outside the zone of their services. But with that being said, that's kind of the beauty of this of systems like these is that it still gives access to information to help any stakeholder make an informed decision and help the right stakeholder for that be able you know, to to act on it. So there are limits. Um, But it just depends on, um, I think, how it's being applied and the reach that the individual who's providing that technology has to to intervene, if that makes sense. From an ethical standpoint, though, I mean, those when we're talking about like uh, HIPAA and, and PHI, like... That is across the board. You know, at least the United States. That it doesn't matter where you live. That is still, you know, going to be enforced and should be taken into consideration by the companies. So, so those type of standards. It, there is no state line or, um, so to speak, with that.
0: No, that's great to hear. And and yeah, taking on the more um, universal approach. I think I think that's what's exciting about AI is that it does recognize. Um, I mean, it's designed for you to be anywhere, right? So even if if there are maybe jurisdictional boundaries between uh, different health units, that, though, that that information could still be transferred on. I, kn- I know for me, with uh, my background, my PhD background is in uh, healthcare knowledge ma- management systems. And so the exciting world of EMR, electronic medical records, and thank you for identifying, Sarah. We do have AI in hospitals, absolutely. I think in the therapy world, maybe it's less seen, um, but absolutely in existence. But I'm excited to see AI take off in the world of documentation and really go to the next level when it comes to scheduling and assessment, because that's when i think of the interjurisdictional opportunities if we could if we could get that figured out um how amazing would it be that you can travel anywhere you know in canada or potentially anywhere in north america and that information follow you and be consolidated in one place so um yeah shelly i know you do travel to the states for a lot of your education but what are your thoughts on that The
1: big picture we're looking at is all about delivering top-notch, efficient care to as many people as possible. This means leveraging technology platforms to gather the right data and ensuring they work smoothly with the clinical team, no matter where the client is located. We're based in Canada, but we're eager to extend our services beyond, especially to places like the U.S. The exciting news about the licensure compact, which allows OTs to treat patients across state lines in up to 28 states, is a game changer. It's a step forward towards making healthcare more accessible and efficient. And then when you think about the leaps we're making with AI and telepractice, it's like we're on the cusp of really breaking down these barriers that kept healthcare confined within the geographical borders. And this isn't just about crossing physical borders, it's about creating a healthcare ecosystem that's connected, seamless, and capable of providing exceptional care to everyone, everywhere. And that's the future we're working towards.
2: Accessibility, I'm glad you mentioned that because we just talked about how the potential for AI lowering the barrier to accessibility of services and and interventions is really quite amazing, but there are factors that do limit the accessibility of AI and the ability for it to get to all those people, such as cost is often a big barrier. Um, How are companies that are using AI going to cover the cost of that technology and not every end client might have the funding sources to to provide that, especially if it's a technology that's not reimbursable through insurance and other means. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is I know in Canada uh, there's a large French-speaking population, Uh, the U.S. is multilingual, and some technologies don't have the capability yet to translate to different languages for non-English speakers and other minority groups that historically are left behind or the last two to receive things. Those are still some barriers facing AI too. And a lot of it is, I think, because it is new and they're still working on um, some of those models, but also um, it's just important that we keep in mind the more, I think, diversity we have in the background of these companies creating it, the more we can continue to keep these technologies expanding to incorporate all groups and then as people like Shelly keep working on cracking the code to get uh, the, the part about costs and how do we like get this to the masses um, more readily uh, that will hopefully help improve the accessibility to all individuals as well.
0: I That's that so you, powerful. Yeah, go ahead, Chili. I to say I love that you brought up
1: diversity because let's talk about uh, the AI models and how they're trained, and the uh, data sets tend to be quite biased, uh, the same way that uh, health research tends to be quite biased um, in terms of typically relying on white males to. Um, To provide most of the data that we use to inform care for all kinds of other minority groups, women, um, people of color, all of these different things, and these are the same data sets that are currently being used for AI models and so. We also want to make sure with the AI technologies that these data sets are being trained on these diverse populations, so that the recommendations that come out are appropriate they're culturally relevant uh, they really meet the needs of our um, of, of many different groups.
0: Yeah, definitely very wise words for our listeners today. I think being able to critically analyze your AI tools, looking for the cultural piece, equity, diversity, inclusion piece, language accessibility um, knowing who created the product incredibly important the standardization of the product because i i remember too uh over a decade ago now when we were looking at mental health apps in northwestern ontario uh, the groups that were coming through were uh, you know business business was what was driving um uh the need to create the app not necessarily um improving the health outcomes for the people who were living there not that they were opposed to that but it is really important to understand the motivations of the AI technology and 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 I think with that being said we are still in the trial and error phase which will probably go on for quite some time but um we are coming to a close on the podcast and Chelli, and I want to uh, welcome some last words from you what do you want to leave our listeners with I feel feel like you've given them a lot to think about in terms of uh, the openness to AI, the opportunities in occupational therapy, uh, benefits for the clients they're working with. What would you like to share before we close? And Sarah, we'll start with you. I was like, I don't want to go first.
2: (laughs) I welcome going first. I guess my closing thoughts are, um, don't be afraid um, either of Getting your feet wet, wet with the technology or where the technology is going within healthcare, um, there is still going to be a space for the OT practitioner within all of that. And I just, I want listeners to kind of walk away feeling empowered that there is another tool for the toolbox that, as Shelly mentioned at the beginning, is there to optimize what you can provide to the client, how the client can perform in daily life, and it's really augmenting service delivery. That's the key. Augmenting, not replacing, not taking over, not making more complicated. It's really there to enhance the the basics of OT that that we already get.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think it's really important to stay open-minded, to be curious, um, to Experiment. You know, you don't have to make all of the decisions about AI in your practice today. You can try a few different things. Um, and I would really encourage listeners to embrace innovation. This is where the world is going. There's all of these amazing new technologies that are coming out, and we don't have to do uh, practice the way that we've always been doing it we shouldn't settle for the status quo uh, there are so many wonderful opportunities to grow and and embrace these these fantastic technologies that make your job easier um, and make you fo- help you focus on the things that matter to you and matter to your clients so I would just encourage everyone to be open and and curious and, and play around it's it's really fun go check out chat GPT and just start brainstorming <laughs>
0: I love that, wonderful words to leave our listeners on. Uh, Shelly Vaisberg and Sarbeskowitz, they can both be contacted uh, via LinkedIn and we will also have contact information associated with the podcast. It's been such a pleasure having you both on. I know that at CAOT, we are beginning our AI journey. Uh, we would love to hear from listeners if you know of resources, networks, uh, what OTs are doing in AI please reach out to practice at caot.ca. We'd love to hear from you, or if you're interested in coming on the podcast and sharing uh, your experiences. Um, but thank you again, Shelley and Sarah, for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having us. This was great.
0: Thank you, Justine. Enjoyed it.